This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Matthew chapter 11, again. I'm going to read verses 7 through 19, and uh, I'm reading here from the ESV, the English Standard Version, okay? Chapter 11, verse 7. And remember, this is uh, immediately following um, Jesus being questioned by the disciples of John the Baptist. They came asking, are you... Are you the uh, the coming one, or should we look for another? And, of course, that's what we talked about this morning in Jesus' response to that question. Now, verse 7, As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women... There has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, He is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. Son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Okay, Um, we've entered a section of Matthew here, where there is uh, emphasis placed on the rejection of Christ, the rejection of Christ's message, and uh, I want us to just kind of keep that in the in your mind as we're looking at these passages, because uh, there's a lot in what I just read, and I don't know that we're going to go that uh, at least tonight go to that go that uh, deep into each part of it. There are some. Um, some passages here that raise a lot of questions, 
And I do want to try to deal with them, um, you know, in a way that they deserve. But again, maybe not all tonight. Um, but I'll, I'll, tonight I want to kind of, kind of, uh, with what I just said in mind, look at look at the whole theme here, which is Jesus dealing with misconceptions about the kingdom of heaven and about, of course, himself as the king. Now he he started along these lines, or we started this discussion along these lines this morning. Jesus started with His comments made to John the Baptist in verse 6. As I pointed out this morning, Blessed is the one who is not offended by Me. Now, He's, he's talking here in response to the question that is, that is brought to Him by the, by the disciples of John. But I think He's, and He's responding to John, but I think He's responding to more than John. He's, he's just talked about, um, for example, the kind of persecution that the disciples are, go, are going to meet in chapter 10. Um, you know, you're, you're going to be uh, taken before um, kings and so forth to be a testimony to them and to the nations. Uh, describe some of the persecution that they'll meet with here. And then this question is raised by John. He goes on to talk about other opposition that he will meet and the result of that. For example, in the latter part of this chapter, chapter 11, he speaks of judgment brought on Chorazin and Bethsaida, Capernaum, for their rejection of him and the message that he's bringing. So that's kind of the running theme uh, here through this, through this section, talking, addressing false ideas, addressing rejection, and of course, presenting the truth. So again, in his answer to John, he says this to John, tells the disciples, here's what you're going you're gonna to go uh, tell John, that's verse 4, go and tell John what you hear and see. And then he finishes out that statement in verse 6 by saying, Blessed is the one who is not offended in me. Blessed is the one that's not offended, caused to stumble, scandalized in, in me. He's not just saying uh, in the message that I bring. He's not just saying um, you know, in, in the way that the reality of the kingdom, it's not quite like you thought it would be, although that's true. But notice how he focuses attention on himself. In other words, the problem with, with the opposition is they're offended at Jesus. And I think this, this is always the case. It's always the case. We, we get a lot of opposition you know, in, in discussing, uh, let's say, in discussing doctrine with people and you raise a certain truth. Uh, just for example, something as simple as uh, the exclusivity of the gospel, that is, Jesus is, is the only way of salvation. And in our day, in our culture, you meet with a lot of opposition to that. And people will rail against us and make all kinds of, uh, you know, uh, slanderous remarks about us and say, you know, that's your opinion and, and, you know, and complain to us or whatever. The real problem is, and I don't mean this in any, you know, prideful way, the real problem is, is they, they, they don't like 
the truth. They don't like the Jesus of the Bible. Uh, the reason I mentioned um, Peter Jennings this morning and not going to him for help and understanding, and he's, I realize he's gone now, but, but uh, not going to him for help and understanding uh, the truth about who Jesus is, because years ago uh, he came out with a documentary called The Historic Jesus, where he was going to um, help us rid ourselves of all the myths um, that we've uh, that we've been handed, for example, down through the Bible. And this is one of many. I mean, he was he's not the only one to have done that. I've seen other shows like that, and and they and they want us to to get a handle on you know who here's the real Jesus. And the reason is, I say the bottom line reason is because they don't like the Jesus they see in the Bible. They don't like the Jesus they hear about when we preach the truth. This is always the problem. So Jesus says, blessed is the one who is not scandalized by me. He makes himself the focus here. Now, as the, um, as the disciples of John leave, are leaving or leave, Jesus begins to talk about John. John has testified concerning Christ, and now Jesus testifies about the person and work and the ministry and the character of, of John. And by the way, this, uh, I mentioned this morning that I, uh, I, I do think uh, this whole question that John raises shows that he was having doubts. I don't think that he was an unbeliever. I don't think that he was lost or anything like that, and I think Jesus' statements here prove that. He's, he, is, he is getting statements of approval here from the mouth of Jesus. And Jesus asks the people, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? Now, he's, he's here, the focus is uh, about John, but it's the same type of question, isn't it? What, like, what were you expecting why did, why did you go to hear John? What was it you were looking for? What were you expecting? And he offers some answers. A reed shaken by the wind? No would be the answer to that because, in other words, uh, what, what he's describing here, using a reed shaken by the wind, he's, he's des- describing someone who would be um, shaky, compromising. And that doesn't describe John. <laughs> John. John was, John was not a compromiser. And I, I think what Jesus is implying here is that you never heard that he was. What, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A compromiser? No. You, you, that's not what you heard about John. You didn't go out there to see a reed shaken in the wind, a weak man who, who flows with the cultural tide, who gives in to the spirit of the age and tries to appease people rather than do the will of God. That's not what you went out to see. That doesn't describe John. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? <laughs> you look, you're looking for a self-indulgent man? One who lives for his own pleasure and comfort? That doesn't describe John. I think that's what Jesus is implying here. You, you didn't go... Um, you weren't attracted by John's ability to compromise truth. You weren't, you weren't attracted by his softness. I don't think many people are, to be honest with you. You know, the, the, uh, 
there are forces in our culture today. I, I guess, you know, the media is a big part of it. And that is one thing they push so hard, the feminization of men. And they try, try, try to convince us that that's really what people like. Uh, I would suggest to you that go ahead and try that. I think, I think you're, in, in your experience you will find otherwise. That's, that's not attractive. And that's not what they were attracted to in John. He was not compromiser. He was not weak, soft. Jesus says, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. In other words, they're not out in the wilderness. John lived in the wilderness, and you went out to the wilderness to see him. You, obviously, you weren't expecting to see a weak, soft man. So what were you looking for? What then did you go to see? A prophet? Ah, now, what's, what's, what's the attraction? Word was out that there was a, a prophet, a prophet of God. Now think about that. There had not been a prophet of God, someone who speaks as the mouthpiece of God for 400 years. Malachi was the last one prior to John the Baptist. They had been in a spiritual Drought. I've, you, you probably notice this too at, at, uh, at, at work or wherever. You know, you, you start getting a little shower outside and everybody starts running or, you know, walking at least. Maybe running is an exaggeration. But everybody starts heading for a door or a window because, you know, like they've never seen rain before. We haven't seen much of it, have we? <laughs> and people people go congregate. Oh, it's raining! Look at that! And then you hear all kinds of jokes about it. You know, uh, forgot what that looked like, or what is that? Something's falling from the sky. Well, because after a long dry spell, uh, it's great blessing to have a good rain. And that's what's going on with John the Baptist. Four hundred years of dry dry spell, drought spiritually speaking, prophesied in the Old Testament. The Lord called it a drought of His Word. He has withheld His divine revelation for 400 years. And then John comes on the scene and word gets out, there's a prophet in Israel. And so people are flocking to see John. Not because he's a great compromiser, no, he speaks the truth. He doesn't compromise. He, he spoke the truth with clarity and boldly. He, he did it with the poor he, and, and the meek. He did it with the Pharisees, the religious leaders. He told them to their face, don't put stock in the fact that you're Abraham's seed. God's able to raise up children from these stones to Abraham. The axe is already laid to the root. I mean, he spoke the truth boldly and plainly. He didn't, he didn't live in king's houses. He didn't wear soft clothing. He wore skins and a leather belt, ate locusts and wild honey. But he was a prophet. 
And they knew he was a prophet, a spokesperson for God. So they went to hear him. So Jesus says, is that what you want to see, a prophet? Yes. I tell you, and more than a prophet. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? More than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before me. So John didn't just talk about the Lord, the coming one. Many prophets had done that down through the years. We read some examples this morning from Isaiah. But John actually pointed him out to the people and said, There he is. <laughs> Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So yeah, he's, he's a spokesperson for God and more than that because he's the messenger. The messenger sent before the face of the Lord. Malachi 3.1. And this is another sense in which... Uh, Another sense in which that statement is defined. In other words, what does Jesus mean? He's a prophet and more than a prophet. Well, again, He was not only one who prophesied, He was one who was prophesied about. Malachi spoke about Him in chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send My messenger. He will prepare the way before Me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple. Isaiah 40, verse 3, He's referred to as a voice crying in the wilderness. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's John the Baptist. He came to fulfill that ministry, that calling. That's already impressive, isn't it? Yes, he's a prophet and more than a prophet. But then Jesus in verse 11 says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no greater than John the Baptist. That's a, that's a pretty amazing statement, especially when you, you think of all the Old Testament saints. Especially the most revered people like David and Abraham. Solomon. And Jesus says, truly, amen, that is, amen, it's, this is true. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, in other words, all human beings, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. And again, I think for the reasons that we just stated, and even though John didn't have... Uh, Complete revelation, not, not even maybe, uh, well, not even to the extent that we have. I'll talk about that in a minute. But again, when compared to all of the Old Testament saints, he not only spoke about this coming age, he was there when it arrived and he announced its coming. He was the herald that went before the Lord saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He had that privilege. 
Among those born of women, there has arisen no greater than John the Baptist. And the Scripture tells us that he was filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. Think about that. (laughs) Full of the Holy Spirit before he ever exited the womb. And his whole life was about his calling. That's why he dwelled in the wilderness, in isolation, preparing for what he was called to do. So Jesus says, there has arisen none, no one greater than John the Baptist, yet one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, that's, that's an astounding statement, too. Probably his hearers are already thinking, wow, now John is an important guy. I mean, he's, he's comparing him with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Solomon, you know, by implication, uh, all of those guys. David, none greater than John the Baptist. He's an important man. And then Jesus says, yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Well, again, he probably has uh, in mind um, the, the different dispensations, the understanding, the privilege. Many prophesied about the coming of Christ. But only John was appointed to stand there and literally announce, here he is. And he had some understanding or insight concerning God's redemptive plan, right? He called him the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And yet, he doesn't really have the light, to put it that way, uh, of the least in the kingdom. Because on this side, we have a fuller understanding who Jesus is and what He has accomplished on this side of the cross, on this side of the completion of the written Word. I don't know exactly what all was revealed to John, but he could not you know, read the book of Philippians and the book of Ephesians and the book of Revelation and so on and so forth. We have more revelation. We have a better grasp. John, in some sense, because John had had to wonder with all the circumstances happening, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And that is clearly answered for us. Okay, If, if we have that question, it's, it's clearly answered here. He is the coming one. There's not another one to look for. So even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than He. Now, verse 12, and this is a mysterious statement. (laughs) This is one of those places that is extremely tough 
to deal with. And again, I'm, I may not go into it much tonight. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. But here's the statement. Verse 12, Jesus still speaking. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence. And the violent take it by force. Now, the problem, one of the major problems with uh, correctly interpreting this verse is that the verb, um, which I just read to you, um, translated suffered violence, and the noun, which comes immediately after that, the violent the, the Greek words can carry a positive connotation or a negative connotation. I mean, either way, either way is either way is correct grammatically, but they can't both be correct as far as interpretation. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. Uh, The New American Standard Version. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent men take it by force. That's essentially the same as what I read to you in the ESV. The NIV reads this way. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. Now, what the NIV does is put both of those in a, in a positive sense. So, uh, again, like I read to you in the ESV, or uh, let me give you one more here, the uh, King James Version. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. So there you have more of a, of a negative connotation in the, in the King James and in the ESV, um, probably for both of those words. In the, uh, in the NIV, instead of the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, it's the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. It puts it in a positive uh, a positive way. And forceful men lay hold of it. Again, probably uh, a, a positive interpretation uh, comes, flows out of that. It can be translated those ways, so you can see the difficulty. So, for example, um, as far as interpreting it, if we, if we take the, the, uh, the way it's, it, it is in the King James, the, the ESV here, it, it, it says something like this. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, like it's being attacked. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven is under attack. And violent men take it by force. That's difficult, isn't it? Especially the latter part. You think, well, how can somebody take the kingdom of heaven by force? The only way you can really get in the kingdom of heaven is to be born again, right? Or maybe it means that um, it, it would be something like this. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence. It, it's under attack. The kingdom of heaven is under attack. And violent men attempt to take it by force. That's, that's a legitimate interpretation. Or, maybe even though the words are related, 
the verb and the noun, it's possible that he's Matthew's using them here, and the Holy Spirit's intentions here are the opposite meanings. So, the kingdom of heaven is under attack, and forceful men take it by force. In other words, like just uh, zealous men are the kingdom of heaven, as the NIV says, is forcefully advancing, but it's under attack. Forceful men lay hold of it. <laughs> you see, you see the difficulty. It could be a positive statement about the kingdom, but then a negative statement about those men who are trying to lay hold of it. So, even though I've already spent a little bit of time here, I don't want to spend a lot of time here tonight, because um, again, I've got one main thing in view here tonight. But let me let me say this. Um, and by the way, and one of the interpretations is that, that, that it could just be meaning zeal. Tom, Thomas Watson, the, the uh, Puritan, Thomas Watson wrote a whole book on this. Um, and I haven't read it all. I've read some of it and haven't read it all. Uh, but, you know, and the idea is, is just like being zealous. What Jesus is calling for is zeal here. You know, you don't, you don't get in the kingdom of God by being lazy about it and being uh, a pacifist. You know, being passive about it, you you strive and you pursue and you seek and you find, and that's all true. But I'm not sure that's Jesus' meaning here. So let me let me say this. Um, let me read it again, verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now I do think. As I said earlier, the kind of running theme here is uh, rejection. People taking offense at the real Jesus and the real message of the kingdom. So that uh, you've got in, uh, in span here, you, you could go from, from John the Baptist who misunderstands all the way to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all the religious leaders who just out and out reject because they don't like what they see. So, let's have them in mind for a moment. And maybe what Jesus is meaning here, the kingdom of heaven from the days of John the Baptist until now suffers violence and the violent attempt to take it, that would be kind of the meaning here, attempt to take it by force. In other words, there are people who are doing violence to the truth. It's much like we say, uh, you know, I, you, you've probably heard me use that kind of terminology before about people who misuse the Scripture. You know, we say they're doing violence to the text. You know, when you, when you, when you take a passage... Um, you know, something like, like we talked about fairly recently where uh, Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in My name, there I am in the midst. And people say, okay, well, that means you only have to have two or three people to start a church. Well, Jesus is not talking about starting church there. <laughs> He's talking about church discipline and the authority to conduct church discipline. So, when you, when you 
yank something out of context like that, you know, a lot of times we'll use that kind of terminology. So they're doing violence to the text. They're doing violence to the meaning of it. And so I think that may be what Jesus has in mind here. Since the days of John the Baptist until now, the, the, the kingdom is, is being inaugurated, right? It's, 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 it's at hand. It's here. It's being introduced. And it's also under attack. Violent men are doing violence to it. It's one reason John the Baptist is in prison. And again, this is another reason I think Jesus has this in mind here, because he's just been confronted with John's disciples sent from prison. So John is in prison because of the violence of violent men. And this meaning could still pretty much hold true, even if we take that first part positively, like the NIV has it. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing from the days of John the Baptist until now, Jesus is saying. The, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. That's, it's, it's on the march, so to speak. It's a good thing. It's positive. But it's under attack. Forceful men lay hold of it. You know, the, the Pharisees, for example, and others who twist the truth. Why? Because they're offended at Jesus. They don't like who Jesus is. They don't like the reality of the kingdom. They've got another kingdom in mind, one that they've made up in their heads. And so they, so they violently treat the true way. They try to lay hold of it as, as it were. Bring it under siege and get control of it. Now, I think the rest of this passage kind of bears that out. I went a little longer on that than I intended to, so let me try to move through this a little bit quicker. Verse 13, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So, John, John the Baptist, you know, it was, it was supposed to be that Elijah comes first, turn the hearts uh, of the uh, children back to their fathers and so forth. And, and uh, Jesus is saying, that has been fulfilled in John the Baptist. In other words, it's not personally Elijah. It's, uh, it's the spirit of Elijah. Um, for example, uh, Matthew 17 Verses 10 through 13, the disciples asked him, Jesus, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And listen to what he says here. I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased so also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that He was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So they, they treated John violently, and they're going to treat Jesus violently. But John was the fulfillment of that prophecy. He was, he was Elijah who must come first. 
And then Jesus goes on here, back in, back in Matthew 11. Again, verse 14. If you are willing to accept it, He is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, remember what, what, what I just read in Matthew 17. Elijah came, and Jesus said they did not recognize Him, but they did to Him whatever they pleased. From the days of John the Baptist, he says here, until now the kingdom of heaven forcefully advances and forceful men take it by force. They do it violence. It's under attack. It forcefully advances and it's under attack. So Jesus says in verse 16, But to what shall I compare this generation? Now, now let me say this real quick. Again, this is why I think he's, he's speaking here and I would carry this back even to verse 6. That's why I think when he's speaking, he's got more than John in view. Verse 6, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. The implication is, cursed is the one who is offended by me. Okay? That's the reciprocal. So now he says, Verse 16, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. Son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What's, what's Jesus saying? He's, he's saying to, to this generation, you, you can't be pleased with the truth. You've got a false idea about the kingdom of God, and you prefer that over the truth. And so you're offended at me, Jesus. And you're, you're offended at John. And what he's saying in, in verse 16, uh, 17, I'm sorry, verse 8, yeah, verse 17, 18, there, there was even a stark contrast between us. In other words, you should have liked one of us because we were so different in our approach. But you're like children in the marketplace calling to your playmates, we played the flute for you and you wouldn't dance. We sang a dirge, a song of mourning, and you didn't mourn. Jesus is saying you can't, be, you can't be pleased. You can't be pleased. John came neither eating nor drinking. He was an ascetic. Would have fit in good in the Bible Belt in the South, at least. <laughs> Except that he practiced what he said. He was an ascetic. He ate locusts and wild honey and he didn't touch a drop of liquor. Not a drop. And you know what they said about him, Jesus says? That man's got a demon. But the Son of Man, now Jesus is referring to himself, but the Son of Man came eating and drinking. John comes living an ascetic lifestyle. 
And they say, that man's got a demon. Jesus comes displaying liberty. And they say, look at him. A glutton and a drunk. He's always eating with tax collectors and sinners and drinking wine. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Friend of tax collectors and sinners. So what are you looking for? What 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 did you go out in the wilderness to see? Or what did you come? Jesus could have said, "What what did you come here to see?" When you heard there was a prophet in Israel, when you heard that Messiah had come, what what is it that you're looking for? You. The asceticism of John didn't please you. The liberty of Christ didn't please you. The response has been, the response to the real kingdom, to the advancement of the real kingdom, has been violence. Violently attacking the truth. And this kind of thing exists to this day because the real kingdom of God doesn't consist of either one of these things. The morning, in essence, the morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G of John, or the dancing of Jesus. Look with me for a moment. Um, Romans 14. Romans, let's see, Romans 14. Let's see. And if you, uh, I can't read all of this, but, but Paul here is, is, is dealing uh, with some of these same type issues. Um, if you think this is not found in, in Matthew, I mean, because you know, you might think, well, you know, we've got to go over, all the way over here to Romans to, uh, to make this point, then consider what we talked about, for example. Uh, when we went through the Sermon on the Mount. The true righteousness that Jesus set forth in the Sermon on the Mount. In Romans 14, um, Jesus is talking about passing judgment on one another, the weak in faith versus the strong in faith. Um, For example... Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. So those kinds of things are at issue. Similarly to you know, Jesus who eats and John the Baptist who abstains. 
Uh, by the way, not because John the Baptist was weak in faith, but it was just part of his uh, mission, calling, um, to live the kind of life that he lived. <clears throat> but here, Paul's talking about Christians in the church condemning one another, um, those who are weak in faith, who abstain from certain things, condemning those who are strong in faith, who have, who, who have and express their liberty, and vice versa. You know, those who are stronger in faith condemning the weaker. So, um, here's the point that I want to make in verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I think what the people that Jesus was talking to that could not be satisfied, they, they had a false idea about the kingdom of God, meaning that they had a false idea about righteousness. Again, uh, we don't have to pull this from here. We can go back and uh, look in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed is the meek, for they shall inherit the land. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and so forth. Those are the kind of things that characterize true righteousness and therefore kingdom children. So Paul here, and, and, and this, this passage is so instructive, for the kingdom of God, he, he brings it down to the essence of it. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. The fact that John came neither eating nor drinking, and Jesus came eating and drinking, that's, that's not where the essence of the kingdom is. Doing one or the other. It's, it's in true righteousness. And what Jesus was putting on display is true righteousness. So, Paul says, it's not eating and drinking, but of righteousness. That is, the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy. And the Holy Spirit. And you could add some things to that from other passages like love. <laughs> Again, meekness from the Sermon on the Mount. Long-suffering from Galatians. Gentleness. Self-control. This is what real righteousness is. The real fruit of the Spirit. The essence of the kingdom And Jesus says the kingdom, the kingdom is advancing, but it's under attack by violent men because they don't like the truth about what the kingdom is. Doesn't fit their idea of righteousness 
doesn't fit their idea of godliness because it has nothing to do with whether you eat or drink or whether you dress a certain way or whether you belong to the synagogue, I guess, or the pharisaical group or the Sanhedrin or anything of that nature. Not even whether or not you are a Jew. As John the Baptist told those who came out to see him. It's righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit in us and working through us. It's being, in a nutshell, okay, it's being like Jesus. And Jesus says that's what they find offensive. In the world, and in the religious crowd. That's what they find offensive. He says, me. Me. Him. Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we again thank You for Your Word and thank You for this time together this evening. And as always, Lord, um, in making application and in living uh, these truths out practically, Father, we're, we're dependent upon You as You grant understanding, as You grant the will and the zeal. So we ask for that, Father, and pray that You not let the birds of the air snatch these things away. May Your Word sink down deep and take root in our hearts and grow and produce for Your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.